right, welcome ladies. This is your show, your host, Anthony King and Brandy Jackson. I am broadcasting from a different city and state, Wisconsin. I am in the boonies, I have to say. (laughs) And it is about 89 degrees, and I have a tan. I look like I'm a different person. I look like I'm, I'm in the Caribbean, but I've got a farmer's tan because of where I've been working. Somehow i got to even that out. But Anthony King is with us, and we have a special guest today, Nicole Guyton-King. And Nicole Guyton-King is a behavioral consultant for NNK Consulting, whose clientele includes different organizations, government, and at-risk youth. And I, I really like her because she'll be able to explain to you some of the things that she does within her consulting company. And she is more than that. She's very empowering. So today we're going to take a trip and a journey in her world, what has happened in her past to bring her to where she is today and where she's going, you know, what's her next move. So everybody that's listening, sit back, relax, and this will be an interesting journey. And this is setting history because Trayvon Martin, that case has ended and a lot of you are probably upset, possibly, at the trial. Uh, but I'm going to leave that open for discussion as well. So, Nicole Guyton King, I want to welcome you to the Rick Show, and as well as Anthony King, are you with us? Yes, we're here. I'm here. Great, great. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problem. Glad to have you. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do as a behavioral consultant and how that came about. What what do you do as a behavioral consultant? Well, um, NNK Consulting came about um, around 2009, probably because I've been working in the field. I started off in um, juvenile justice. I worked for the Department of Family Children Services and a lot of different things in social services and just with the different things and the education and my experiences, I started helping a lot of different organizations um, and then I became very, uh, I guess, heavy on my heart, really started turning to evangelism, so doing a lot of stuff with different churches and outreach and um, really just wanting to help the community. And so NNK is probably just a, a, a little bit of all of that, our main goal is to develop and produce um, effective services just to improve the lives of individuals and families in our communities. Um, We deal a lot with corrections and crimes against children and substance abuse. You know, anything 
that's keeping our people from moving forward in life or, you know, just trying to have a better place. Mm-hmm. And what actually happened um, to make you want to go in that direction? Because obviously it has to weigh heavy on your heart to go into that direction. I, I try to imagine myself because I always want to be there for children and help at-risk youth as well. And just to hear some of the stories that they have, you know, it's so sad to me. It's almost like a burden, and you really have to almost pray before you go into um, those situations and finding out these, this personal information about the kids. How do you, first of all, how did you get into that? That's number one. And then how do you kind of cover yourself to not be weighed down by any um, any sad stories? Um. You know, I think a lot of people ask, how did you get interested into this field? And I always, I, I know it started in childhood for me because mm-hmm. I was, I was, um, I'm from Gary, Indiana. I spent a lot of my childhood in Inglewood, California, and I always tell people I had the best of both worlds, but I, I was around a lot of different things, you know, the gangs, um, drugs. There's a lot of different things, and I think because of my experiences, um, I started drinking early, you know. I was in middle school when I started drinking and trying to hang out, you know, with wow. people. And that's, that's not something that you really, you know, it was really just a lot of life experiences. And somehow or another, um, you know, people always told me their problems or their stories. And so as I started working in the field, um, it was almost like I already, I can feel what people were going through because I grew up in it, you know? I guess if that makes right. sense. <laughs> I yeah. grew up in it. I had a lot of experiences at, at a very young age that, you know, I used to always question God about why was these things happening to me. And, I, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, those trials, those things that, that I went through is what got me into this, I, you know, because I think what happens a lot of us in, in, in social services and mental health, we normally come from a lot of problems and we want to find answers, so we go and get the education behind it, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and, and you kind of dig into it even, you know, even more there. But I think the more I got into evangelism, the more that, you know, my quest or my thirst for, being who God created me to be. That I think that was the, the main thing that started, you know, my organization as far as NNK. You know, I, I started off actually in 2007 with a nonprofit, and I realized real quick that grassroots efforts is, is no joke. You know, I thought that yeah. the government was a mafia, you know, but it's, it's rough in the, in the community, you know. Wow. And I... Um, and so, you know, from that, just, um, you know, I, it's like fighting for your life almost when you really want to do good, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool when, you know, you just trying to make a dollar or you just, you know, want to put your name out there. But when you sincerely love people and want to see them do good, oh, it's a struggle. It's really hard, you know. It's a struggle. And it's, it's been, you know, about six years now of struggle. Uh, we're finally starting to see the light. You know, I've had some people that have been with me over the years, 
And I, you know, I just thank God for him and everything that we're, we're trying to do in, in, in helping people. Mm. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. And you now you did say something. I'm, I'm gonna come backwards a little bit, but you did say something about the government. You thought the government was the mafia. <laughs> now what? <laughs> what, what happened? <laughs> You know, I say that because um, I was also in the military, and it was during that time, I was in the Army, um, and I want to say when I was overseas in Germany and I deployed to Bosnia when it was a peacekeeping mission, but being able to talk to other people from other countries, you find out what people really think about the United States and... Um, What's really going I, on. Yeah, you know, they... They really they they feel that we are bullies, and mm-hmm. and I got to see that you know I got to see us bullying other countries firsthand, and so I guess that's where that term comes from because we you know we can be kind of ruthless when it comes to getting what we want, and, yeah. and um you know I I tell everyone I was traumatized in the military because of that, but the military also taught me a lot of different things as far as discipline and um really about life, so I was exposed to even more, you know, other things from being in the military. I think that it also helped shape me as far as who I am now. Now, what were some of those things that helped to shape you, and what uh, role did you play in the military? Well, I was a, I was an administrative specialist in the military, and it's kind of crazy because I, I did junior, like the ROTC in high school, so when I went in, I went in as an E, I think two or three, and when I got to my first duty station in Yuma Proving Grounds, Arizona, which I had never heard of, and um, I get out there, and they had did some changes to where they didn't have anybody to run finance, which is usually an E6 position, and nobody wanted to do it, so they, they put me in it. So here I am. Brands making new in the military, and I'm in an E6 position. And so I learned things very quick. Um, okay. I got I got away with things that I probably shouldn't have got away with. But, you know, it didn't stop there. When I left there, I went to Germany. I was in an E7 position, and I still was only an E3. By the time I made E4, I was in an E8 position. And so I learned things probably that most people my time and rank shouldn't have learned, you know, and I've seen things that, you know, you just realize that uh, we're numbers to our government, you know, we're numbers, the the whole thing about being for the people is is, is kind of like a big facade, you know, and, and I think that's kind of the biggest lesson that I learned, and when I came back, I guess, you know, seeing how people live in other countries, um, it humbled you because we have a whole lot here and we're, we misuse it. You know, it's people that don't have half the stuff we have and they don't run around and grumble as much as we do, you know. So oh. those, those were kind of the experiences, you know, learning about um, how in Europe their doctors and their medicine, they're curing things like cancer. And, you know, I had a girlfriend who was epileptic. And she had grandma's seizures, but they didn't have uh, anybody that could see her on the military side, so they sent her to a German doctor. And so whatever medication they was giving her, she didn't have not one seizure when we was in Germany. 
And when we came back to the States, we both got stationed up in Fort Gordon, and they told her they don't have that medicine here in the United States. Well, why wouldn't you? Really? That's something that would help a person have a more, you know, quality of life. And so those, those are just kind of, you know, that's probably one of the things that I learned real quick. Because I said, wow, they out here, people, you know, you don't have those type of numbers and things with the cancer and all these different things because they truly, and then they have free health care. You know, <laughs> it, it, it was just eye-opening. Mm. Even their churches, their churches are uh, built and kept up by their taxes. So they don't, they have one church, like, per city, and they're huge. And, you know, just the whole, just seeing the differences in how we live and they live and, how we're spoiled, and we still don't even get it, you know? Mm. Yeah, that is – yeah, because we hear about that new, um, I guess, the cancer treatment, but the question is, when is it coming over here, you know, or is it that there's only an elite group of people that have access to that? You know? Well, I, I, I guess the, the bottom line is, is it all boils down to money. You know, yeah. it's kind of like uh, Tyler Perry, the haves and the have not. So. Oh, that's, yep, that's new. It's coming out. <laughs> the have, right, and right now we're the have-nots, right? Right. Oh, gosh. Wow. So you moved up really quick in the ranks. What was so much in the ranks. It was more so position. Position, um, yes. Yeah, for some reason I just ended up in positions. And, I, and don't get me wrong, it caused some grief because a lot of people who was in the military for a long time or at higher ranks, um, I used to catch a lot between, you know, from stuff like that because I, I did get away with things or I was privileged to things that most people don't get, like I said, or didn't get in my time of service and um, rank. Okay, okay. So that that shaped you too for your your current view. Yeah, it did. Mm. It did. Okay. So then, um, going back to you know how would you? I mean, did you ever? What made you go into the military? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> well, I, I let's see. I went to Purdue for a couple of years. Um, and then I, I ended up going to Purdue Cal because of some, just some things that went down racially um, while I was at Purdue, you know, just really not understanding. Um, you know, what was, I graduated in 91. And so when when you have situations to where you're, you're in the middle of, uh, I don't know how to explain it, you know, you just wouldn't think that race was a big thing back then, but it was. And I wanted to go back closer to home, so I went to Purdue Cal. But then I was hanging out around, you know, friends and probably dating people. I didn't have no business dating, you know. Exactly, and, exactly. Um, and things got a little too real. It was almost like, um, even though I was going to school and I was working, you know, when I had free time, um, you know, drinking and hanging out. I ended up going out with this guy who ended up being a drug dealer. I mean, it was just so much stuff that was happening. And my my uh, my best friend was in the military, and she was out in Colorado, and she told me to come out there because I, I really just couldn't take it anymore. And so what happened, I, when I moved to Colorado, 
I lived with her and her fiance at the time, and um, seeing the military life, you know, it's just kind of something. It, it, it kind of, I think, it gave me a chance. I thought at that time it was gonna give me a chance to figure out what I wanted to do in my life because I, I don't know if I really knew at that time. Right. Right. And this was, um, is this a normal age of, uh, I'm assuming, 25? Oh, no, that was, I was like, I was 20 when I went into the military. So it was like 19, 20. I graduated when I was 17. So I was 17 when I was in college. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a, that's about the time to have that crisis, right? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's Somewhat, you know, right? I felt, Trade, 
unless that person really wants to change, it, it won't mean a hill of beans. It's just like, uh, you know, getting saved and being born again. You can sit there all day and teach somebody and preach at somebody and put them in the right, you know, environments, but unless they really want it, it's, you know, it's not that much that we can do. And so with young people these days, oh, my gosh, over the years, it has changed horrendously. Um, and I say that because it's almost like, you know, spiritually our children don't have a sense of God anymore. They, I don't know if it's because they haven't been taught it, they're not around it. And, and when you don't have a sense of God, you don't have a sense of yourself. And so I have to always encourage people, first and foremost, to acknowledge who they are and then define who that is and, and define who you want that person to be. And so anytime I encourage them, it's like, let's, let's first acknowledge where you are and why. And then the next step is, who are you and who do you want to be? If you don't know yourself, you can't move forward in life in anything. And uh, that's probably the number one thing that I encourage to any, you know, you to anybody. Okay. So now, um, are you open for anyone to call in and um, ask you pretty much a simple question about themselves and you give um, a, a short consultation or anything of that nature today? Oh, sure. If anyone yeah, calls in. Okay. So um, anyone that's listening, if you wanted to talk to Nicole and ask her about your footprints in life, if you had any questions about finding your direction, or uh, some goals that you're, you know, going back and forth on, go ahead and call 213-943-3618. And it could be an anonymous call. You don't have to say your name, or you can say your name. It's fine. So we'll be here until 7 p.m. show goes until 7. Okay. So, yeah, that that's good. Um, uh, just kind of going back into changing working working with the self first can you go a little bit further into um how long does it normally take i mean i I know it's probably not a specific number everyone's different but what has to occur what kind of practices have to occur until someone sees change in their life in your opinion (laughs) what has to what has to occur do you think it's a spirit more so or do you think it's habit what is it oh god you know, for me, everything is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always this thing about first the natural, then the spiritual. You know, you see things in the natural, and then there's always that thing that's going on spiritually that you you got to, you know, be aware of. And um, I can only, you know, really speak for myself. I think about there are so many different things. You know, when I was growing up, uh I had very low self-esteem. Um, a lot of it came from growing up in California. It just wasn't too cool, I don't think. <laughs> well, a lot of places. It wasn't too cool to be dark skin. You know, you were called a lot of different things. And um, not really having that dad around to really teach me about boys and minions. So you make a lot of foolish mistakes. You know, I got a whole lot of bones. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh I, you know, when you go through things, when, you know, uh, I, I was, what, 17, I was raped. 
you know, and I didn't oh, tell wow. nobody. There are people around, but then even with that, there's so much, like, guilt and shame behind it. And so you carry a lot of stuff with you through life, through different experiences. You know, when I was young, I used to dream a lot, dream a lot about uh, everything, even, like, God and, and and you know, different things that at that time I couldn't really explain. And it was crazy because all the things that happened to me and, you know, from moving back and forth from Gary, California, I didn't have, like, childhood friends. I was always trying to fit in. And then you get into adulthood and you have more disappointment. And, and all of a sudden you get into this point to where, you know, you, you start not caring. And so that's when, exactly. it, it, that, you know, it's like, well, it's all about me, you know, and at that time in my life, I didn't, shoot, when I was overseas, I was horrible. I, I look back and I say, I can't believe that that was me. But it's like I had so many disappointments and hurt to where I I even stopped dreaming. I didn't, I didn't dream for three years. And I didn't even realize it until I got, I think until I got to Georgia. And I remember crying out to God saying, you know, I don't want to live like this. But again, mind you, I started drinking in middle school. It didn't get no better by the time I was in the army. You know, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You, said, well, you were there. You really <laughs> <laughs> right. didn't get no and better. So, right, and so there were so many different, I think, experiences that really tried to harden my heart against what what God would call, you know, a life for Him. And it was it was so many things that was happening relationship wise. So finally. I was like, okay, that's enough. And when that happened, that's when the dream started back. And uh, people were coming out the woodworks. And I started trying to, you know, when you start reading the Bible and you start talking to God on a more personal, intimate basis, all the time you start yeah. seeing and learning a lot of things about yourself. And when I made that choice to just totally submit to God, that was that was my story. You know what I'm saying? But everybody has a story. It could be death. It could be sickness, you know, um, that causes change. But for me, I was just tired. I was tired of hurting. I was tired of carrying stuff that I just really needed to let go. Um, family, just, you know, just a whole lot of different stuff that, but, you know, I was carrying and the more I carried it, the more I felt stuck. And um, spiritually, there was just things going on. You know, I tell people, you got to watch dreams and different things that happen because, you know, there are things working. It's Ephesians 6 and 12. There is spiritual wickedness around us. These, these things are what guides our thoughts and, and the different things that happen to us in our lives. And if you're not careful, then you're going, you know, further and further away from God. And that's where I, I, I kind of found myself at one point. And it was crazy because even when I was going through that, it's like more and more things. Now, mind you, I told you I was raped at 17. So that's already, you when that's you hard. have something like that as a sexual perversion, there's a spirit that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And it carries with you. Lust and Low self-esteem just doesn't go well together, okay? So mm-hmm. it carries you. You attract certain types of people in your life because whatever you're carrying in you, you're attracting those people around you. Now, you know, it's like you're just having a good old time spiritually, but then on the outside and on 
the inside, you're feeling some kind of way. And so that was that was kind of what I went through. But I realized that with other people, it's just different things. It's so many things. I've worked with so many young people. And after a while, you just get tired. And you start looking for answers. And you start trying to make it better, you know, for yourself. Mm-hmm. But oh, I don't know if there's a time. Yeah, I don't think there's a time limit. You know, there's no time. So my span probably over a matter of 10 years of, of, you know, one foot in, one foot out, you know, and, you know, I still struggle with things, you know. Okay. And you said something. Well, first of all, I can relate to you personally because I'm a dreamer and I Mm -hmm. dream everything. Like I can read in my dreams, I can color, I can fly, I can talk, and I remember vividly as if it was weird, but it's also really imaginative and creative as well. So I get Uh every angle of it. It could be some of them are prophetic and some of them are, it could be just my thoughts going, but I dream a lot ever since I was little. Uh And, uh, you know, that kind of reminded me of that as well, because not everybody dreams, not everybody dreams to that extent. So that's why I know it's something different with that and uh what kind of if i don't mind if you don't mind what kind of dreams if you remember did you have around that time what kind of images do you remember before that before meant, you know I made my epiphany mm-hmm. <laughs> well um during that time I, again because i still had one foot in and one foot out and I started hanging around people that did a whole lot of different things, from swinging to all kind of stuff. So I started having a lot of, like, sexual dreams, and they were kind of weird. You know, I didn't understand it. Um, exactly. And um, there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of people that don't recognize, I think we talked about this, um, mm-hmm. things when people have, you know, wet dreams or uh things of that nature, and they wake up and they think, oh, okay, that, ooh, that was a good dream. But you, that's really, it's, it's a it's a spiritual thing. It's a demonic thing. It's to keep you into a certain, you know, mindset. And so what happened, there was people yeah. around me trying to introduce me to different things, you know, uh, threesomes and all this stuff. And I was like, because it reminds you, I had one foot out. I still was drinking, partying, sexing, right? So... At that point, I didn't think there was nothing wrong with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you open up that door, there are other things that come along with that if you're not careful. And so I started meeting people that was doing all these different things, and all of a sudden it started coming into my dreams. That's when I started in my mind because, again, I had one foot in the church and one foot out, and I started it just so happened for the church that I was going to, um, Broadway Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, mm-hmm. Pastor Joyner, he was teaching about sexual morality, and he talked about people having sex with demons and not even knowing it and all this different Ooh. stuff. And so it just so happened at that time when I was having those dreams, he was teaching this stuff. And I was like, hold up, what am I right about this? <laughs> you know? And wow. uh, I, I, I kind of, you know, the dreams got a little bit, you know, weirder and weirder the more I tried to pull away from people 
And um, finally, it was so weird. I remember having to get up that morning. I called my dad, who's a pastor, and telling him what had happened because it was so strange. And that's when I had enough. I thought, I'm done. And I kind of, at that point, everything changed for me at that point, you know. And I I, I started practicing celibacy, and and for like two years, I didn't even go nowhere. I didn't watch TV. All I did was go to church. I came home. I read my Bible. I listened to the gospel. That was my life for two years. I didn't do nothing. It's really trying to spend time with God because I think it kind of scared me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you think about when the enemy puts things on you because, see, from a young age with some of the other sexual stuff and then the rape, the enemy tried to put that lust on me. It was up to me you know, with all the things that I went through and with relationships and disappointments to finally, it was like almost like I didn't care. That was the enemy's way of, of taking me there. You know, he, right. it, it was almost like it was planted on me, and I took it further by making and compromising, you know, my integrity of who I am, you know, just to say, look, guess what, I'm having fun. And, and I guess God said, oh, no, not my child. <laughs> so mm. he, he opened me up to or something that scared the heck out of me, or literally the hell out of me, and I had, like, I had to, like, straighten up. I said, oh, Lord, okay, I see now. I see this stuff is real, and I I, I told God then, I surrendered. That's it. Use me, and it's been all ever since, and I can't say it's been easy, but it's definitely been on ever since. It's been on, so it was like a faucet just turned on. Okay, so when you said it, it, it was on, what mm-hmm. changed at that moment after the days went by? I want to say awareness. Um, I started, I think, by having, especially those two years I spent with God, mm-hmm. being God, it was so wonderful because there were so many things that I had repressed from my childhood that started coming up, even dreams from my childhood. And I'll give you an example. I had a dream that, um, and this was around a time when, because I didn't really technically grow up in the church. I mean, I started off in the church with my grandma. Um, we went to West Angeles in California, and then my mom stopped kind of going to church. And so I um, used to, when I was like in middle school, I want to say, I would go to church with friends and try to really, because it was always something that would kind of call me to the church, you know, okay. whether it was just things that were happening in life or whatever. And so I started having these really weird dreams. And I remember this dream where it was a, like a, a port and a boat. And on the boat, it was like all my friends and family, and they were waving at me. But there was something on the left side of me. Now, I couldn't see it, but it kept talking to me. Now, a lot of it sounded like whispers. But the one thing that was very clear and concise was, I got your friends and family. What you going to do? And the more I tried to get to the boat, something is like kept hitting my chest like I couldn't get to the boat. And I was crying. It was so real that I woke up crying and, and right. like, you know, after, you know, cause I, it was like I couldn't get to them. And this thing or whatever it was was talking to me, telling me that they got them. What you going to do? And so, yeah, it was dreams like that that kind of manifested in my, you know, and I, I remember just so much stuff spiritually uh, as a child, 
you know, speaking in tongues when I was seven. I mean, you know, I had forgotten all that stuff. And it just all kind of flooded and came back, you know, and um, it, just awareness. Like I said, people and things going on around me. And people don't recognize that what's in you is what draws you. Because that very next day, when I repented for my sins and I got up and I told God, okay, use me. It's so crazy. I was working for this organization, and this guy who happened to be engaged was, like, just trying to take me out. And I kept saying, like, this dude crazy. So the night before, <laughs> when I had this, you know, experience, and I repented and said, okay, God knew me, I went into work that next day. He couldn't even look me in my face. Wow. So that was the awareness. It was, like, night and day. I'm talking night and day. And then all of a sudden, it was guys that, when I was out in the club, I started seeing them at the grocery store and the video places, guys that I may have just seen and thought was cute. You know, all of a sudden, they was kind of coming on to me, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, you know, and at that time, the only thing I was thinking about was trying to get my life together. And so that's how I realized the spiritual game and how, how real it is and how, you know, you've got to be careful how and who you who you deal with, you know, because, you know, if I didn't know no better, I would be like, oh, yeah, sure, what's up? You know, let's hang out. Knowing that I was just open and vulnerable to stuff. And so I want to say that that was kind of how and what happened. And as that went on, the more that I experienced those things, because I still made some mistakes, and then the more I experienced things, the more I, I started talking to God and the more... I experienced things. It just kind of grew. And, you know, and I'm still on that journey because it's like, you know, that saying with every level there's a new devil, it's very oh. true. <laughs> it's very yeah, true. A friend, a friend of mine <laughs> says that, yep. Yeah, it's very true because you realize that every test that you pass, you know, uh, I teach this, that everything we do is in a cycle. You know, when Jesus was baptized and he came out the water, and God said, that's my son. I'm pleased with him. He went into the wilderness, and Satan tempted him, but he resisted, right? So kind of look at our lives like that, because what happens is that every time we make a good decision, we go back in the water, we come back out, and we're in the wilderness again. So we're constantly getting tested. So we make the wrong decision. We have to go back in the water. We have to come back out. We go back to the wilderness. Now what happens? When we make the right decision, the angels came down and ministered to him. So we go to that next level in life. And 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 it's, and it's kind of like, you know, when you get to that point to where you, you really want to live for God, you're, you are. That, that whole thing about killing yourself and starting all over, it is because now you have to rebuild yourself in who the person that God wants you to be. And it's not easy because there are so many things around you that can push you and take you in all these different ways. Yeah, that temptation, huh? Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. stay? How do you how do you stay strong, and how do you suggest people um, um, stay strong when it comes to that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I would like and to I'll, say that I I guess that I always stay strong, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I can tell you this. Um, God knows your heart, you know, and I think that the more you try it, something, the easier it comes, 
but you got to remember that, you know, those obstacles are always going to come your way. And the more you try, you know, you have to practice. It's a, oh, God, what's the pastor's name? Um, I think it's Jamal Harrison. He talked about the right to curse people out. And he was saying it like, you know, with all the stuff that Jesus did, that, that people did to Jesus, he wasn't, on, he wasn't on the cross and he didn't look down and, and tell people F them. You know, it's easy to say that when people do stuff to you. And so it's kind of like you have to learn that peace of God, understanding what joy is. Um, this definitely has nothing to do with happiness. People are just going to constantly do things to you, and you have to seek God for the right answers to follow up. It's kind of like what you talked on earlier with the Trayvon Martin thing. It's like we're all angry about this because, you know, I was telling uh, my fiancé about how, um, you know, being in this field, you see injustices. I've been seeing this stuff for years, and then you get a case that's like this, and it, it makes you angry because you're like, why is this stuff happening? You know, at the end of the day, we still have to seek God for guidance on how to move forward. When are we right. going to come together? You know, when are we going to come together and seek God like they used to do in the civil rights ages? You know, back then, they, it wasn't no question to go to God about how to move forward in these things. But today, it's like we're so all over the place. And I guess it's hurtful that, you know, there are thousands of Trayvon Martins all over the country. It is. You know, all over the world. And it took this tragedy for the world to see what we really deal with on an everyday basis. Right. And what I kind of don't understand about that is how can he admit that he's following him what that right there said a lot to me. I said, "You are you insinuate you starting something by following mm-hmm. him. Yeah, he may not have yeah. been getting ready to do anything. You know, we don't really know what happened per se, but right. that right there, it just it didn't rub me the right way. I didn't understand that. Well, and, and I then guess for him, I, brought, I, I brought that up because it speaks volumes about our our system. You know, it still goes back to what I was saying about the government. Our justice system, our laws, you know, we have sat back for years and just let the political arena do whatever they want to do. And it's not until things like this happen that people are like, well, where, where did this law come from? What do you mean stand around? You know, there are so many laws and things out there that are being passed. We don't pay attention to it. We don't, you know, go and get involved. And until stuff like this happens, and it's like, oh, that's a horrible law. Oh, the system is messed up. The system been messed up. The system was messed up from, from <laughs> hell, Lincoln. You know, <laughs> but nobody, nobody, you know, after the civil rights movement, um, and we started getting, you know, money and houses and cars and all these things and buying our kids everything because we didn't have it and all these different things. And we wasn't paying attention to what was going on right underneath our eyes until stuff like this happened. Just, you know, Trayvon Martin, unfortunately, is an example of of us not following through with our rights. Because they've been stripped from us little by little. You know, 
just start reading and doing a history about things, how even after segregation and the whole thing about giving out handouts, you know, this is why I'm so against giving out handouts. People got to learn how to fish. Yeah. And when they started doing that kind of stuff with the welfare and all these different things, and I'm not saying anything is wrong with it. It's okay for a moment, but when people start making it a lifestyle and a culture, then now you've made the government your God. Ooh. See, it was all about control. And so right. the, system is, the, the system is systematically about control. And so now we have our Trayvon Martins out here where we have these situations and, and look, at, look at where we are. Look at where we are because it's... it's I challenge people to go and sit down, start going to your city hall meetings, and start going to your meetings where your uh, congressmen and your senators and stuff are talking. You'll find out a whole lot of stuff. And you're like, when, when did all this stuff get passed? How, how did I miss this? Because we're too busy in our homes and our cars and, you know, getting <laughs> yeah. everything. And, and this, this is why, you know, this stuff happened to this young man and how this man was able to get off because of not paying attention to our laws and things like that. It's so much stuff. They they manipulated it to work in his favor. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. let me see, they have a a Florida law called Stand Your Ground Law. Right. And um, I'm not exactly sure what those terms are, but it seems as though it's almost like Stand Your Ground, so he could have walked up to him and... Zimmerman would have had the right, you know, to stand his ground, I guess, with his weapon. So it's a little, it's a little tricky how that mm-hmm. law was in effect. It's tricky. It doesn't, how does that, how is that possible, you know, because he was following him? And it's almost like, you know, when uh, someone is getting interrogated and the police is asking them, well, did you do this, did you do this? And they're in there for hours. Eventually they say one wrong thing and they're in trouble because they've had a lot of pressure on them. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that um, in the state of ground law, it's basically like a person can use force in self-defense if that person feels that their life they is can. threatened. Yeah, and, and then the, the tricky part about that is, is that how can you define that? You can't really because what that person may feel threatened may not be the other person, but if he can, you know, uh, relay that type of uh, feeling and get the right type of lawyers, and yeah, you know, <laughs> you live there. So, hmm. yeah, yeah. So, we we are definitely looking forward to your for your programs forthcoming to prepare people for this, you know, and and just the youth that need this knowledge. They need to know how to prepare themselves when they walk when they walk through the community and um, they have an account of events that occur in their life, you know. Yeah. um, My colleagues and I have been working on the project now for almost three years. Uh, We're opening an independent living and transitional house. It's called Testament House um, out here in Georgia in Clayton County. Um, and it's for right now we're doing males ages 16 to 25, and it's just that. It's all about education. We're going to be doing literacy, 
GED training. We're going to have vocational training. We have several companies who have committed to coming in and teaching these young men different work skills and putting them to work. And then on top of that, we have, the, of course, the mental health services, the substance abuse services, and, and hopefully, you know, just in a very controlled environment to get, you know, these young people a chance and some kind of hope. You know, I guess the biggest thing is trying to install hope. Uh, a lot of our young people have lost that. You know, um, working with so many young people from foster care and they get out and they realize how hard it is in the streets because a lot of them just really wasn't prepared. Um, the system doesn't really allow you to prepare them. There's so many different things that um, I'm hoping and praying and, and hopefully my team, um, you know, with my team that we can make this happen. Um, so I'm just really excited about that. We should be open sometime um, at the end of August. Good, good. And then I also noticed um, that you said uh, we had talked about the story. You know, everybody has their story, which they hold on and they harbor with them, which changes their perspective on life as they're going throughout life. You know, you have a lot of you have a lot of personal stories from your past as well. How how do you think you can um change and affect the at risk youth so that they can look at their story differently and move forward? Because it looks like a lot of the youth can get stuck right right where they're at. Mhm. Um I think the biggest challenge in helping in the helping profession is getting anyone, youth, adults, whoever, to trust the process. they got to trust you in some kind of way. And I, uh, I've i told everyone that my biggest concern is always making sure that we get the right staff because this has to be a passion for you. You have to be able to let people know that you truly care and that and, and also be an example you know, you can't teach somebody something that you're not being an example of. So I can't teach you not to cuss people out if every time you do something wrong, I'm cussing. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of both ways. You know, um, right. even when I used to work at YDC, one of my biggest things was always uh, at YDC is a youth detention center. When I used to work there, I used to do these groups, and I would tell the young men, you know, I'm going to respect you, and you're going to respect me, and this is where we're going to start. You know, what I've learned in doing outreach and talking to people is that a lot of times they don't have nobody to listen to them. They just want to get it out, you know, and once you can get it out, you know, you don't judge them, you know. You don't um, try to tell them what to do because in any type of, uh, relationship, nobody likes you telling them what to do. You know, people have to kind of come up with their own conclusions and their own ways in life. I try not to tell people what to do. And probably some of the young people that I work with will probably tell you something different. But at the end of the day, I always say, you know, you got to figure that out. I right. need you to figure that out. Figure out your way because my way may not be your way. And But if we could just take whatever that dream is, and make it possible, you know, trying to get, steer people in the right direction. But it starts with 
I think I truly just believe it starts with respect. And it starts with gaining the trust of someone and, and, and not looking down or clumping them in just like all the rest of you. Because everybody's an individual, every last one of them. They have their stories. And a lot of them are harboring anger and resentment. And they don't trust adults because they, they never, you know, some of them didn't have the right type of nurturing, you know, as a child. So you got you got all these different things that make up these young people today, and and the whole thing is getting them to see the value in themselves, so that they can have hope for their lives and what it is that they want to do. And I, I would like to say that that's where it starts. You know, that's where it starts. Hmm. So now, spiritually sleep. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> so, with with these students, you know, these people, the the students, the youth, they're hurt from relationships too, and mm-hmm. whatever happened, relationship repair. Okay, and I'm also going off of what you said earlier, as far as having something that's repressed, and then you pray and you pray, and all of a sudden your memories come back. I've had situations where. I honestly feel like I have I lived unconsciously after a certain time. I don't mm-hmm. know what caused you know you don't you don't know what you may know what caused it you know you know maybe you wouldn't say it on air per se but you remember you start remembering things you say mm-hmm. wow okay I remember that and that oh that hurt yeah mm-hmm. for for you and even the students um. How do you overcome that and, and as far as the re- repression is concerned, getting to the point of recognizing what it was to release it from your spirit? Because you have to know, you have to re- you, you have to confront it. Is that correct? Or how does that work? Um, well, you got to be careful how you confront it, but I guess in some way you do have to confront it. What happens a lot of times with repressed memories, you got to understand, repressed memories come from trauma. And it's, it's, it's kind of like PTSD, you know. Actually, it is in a lot of ways. It's kind of a symptom of that. And, um, it, you know, I guess the, the best way to explain it is you don't know sometimes when these memories come up. Sometimes they come up because um, things trigger it or, like I said, you start you start a process of healing to where things will start coming up because I, I think in some ways it's God's way of even protecting you because if you had all these, you know, if you keep it in certain times, it could drive a person off the wall, you know, and that's kind of what happens sometimes when people deal with things in those moments. So some people go off and do other things and it's, it's repressed, it's repressed, it's repressed, and then it comes out in different ways you know, different behaviors. This is where a lot of this, uh, and this is just my belief and my theory. I don't want anybody out there who knows anything about mental health. But my belief and my theory in this is that this is where your people who are bipolar and what they call borderline personalities, because what happens is so many things that happen to them that are traumatized that they start making this very irrational decisions and different behaviors, which is where these theorists came up with these so-called disorders, right? And so um, it's kind of like you, you know, 
it's my military. They tell you mind over matter. Um, mm-hmm. The Bible talks about the transformation of the mind. It doesn't come by just saying it. It doesn't come by just praying. I told you earlier, a lot of it is continuing to practice, continuing to speak things. The more you speak something over your life, the more it becomes real. And that's it. Even if it's not real on the outside or in the natural as far as, you know, that's where faith comes from. But as long as that I can believe who I am and that I'm not going to allow things from my past to dictate my future, that's when things get, you know, start happening. That's when things start manifesting in that way. You know, we're the Bible talks a lot about the, uh, the works that we do. And those works are, are is some of that that goes on mentally. We have to train our minds to understand that when things happen to us, that, that it's not the end of the world. Or I don't have to submit to my circumstances around me. And I may have gotten off a subject from what you asked. No, no, that's yeah. good. <laughs> um, no, that's good. Keep going. So, yeah, I, I just think that you know, you impress things, and, then, and just like I told you from my own testimony, and, and trying to feel some kind of worth about who I am, not giving in to, uh, what, you know, the, the, the misunderstanding of thinking that sex is a part of love. You, you know what I'm saying? Because you want this type of relationship or somebody that you could love and and, 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 and being misrepresented by sex. You know, you have to tell yourself that you're you're better than that. Um uh nobody you you know, you're more you're priceless. You can't just do that thinking that this is how you're gonna love. You know, so those are things that it, it takes time. Um and it and it, it takes um, just finally discipline and finally saying, you know what, enough is enough. I don't know what or how people get to that point. Like I told you earlier, it just happens. A lot of times in, in our field, we just give people tools. We help encourage them. We help them understand that, look, this is not the end of the world. You still are more than a conqueror. You still can overcome what happened in your childhood. You still can overcome that husband that cheated on you or that wife that cheated on you, you still can overcome your son going to prison for killing somebody. You know what I'm saying? You can overcome those things mm. and not sit sit in it, not let the enemy continue to remind you of the things that has kept you in bondage because all of that is bondage, you know? And, and it's, it's, it's almost, and that's what trauma is. PTSD and stuff is tra- keeping you in bondage. It's keeping you in, in, in those thoughts of look what happened to me. Oh God, I can't I can't move I can't on go from more. this. Yeah, this oh, oh I'll never nobody will ever I'll love never. me. I would wow. never ever. That's nothing but the enemy and the bondage. So you gotta you gotta talk yourself out of that. There's there's, there's no there's no uh condemnation but yourself. Does that make sense? The oh, enemy okay. Give us those thoughts. We carry them out. 
So then, I mean, he ain't did it to us. I guess I'm tired of people talking about all the devil did. The devil did nothing. You did that. You did that to yourself. By continuing to wallow in things that you had no control over. And so, those, you know, the, those are things that if I, if I couldn't stress stuff like that, because I did it. I was one of those people. Yeah. I know what it's like. And it wasn't until getting into a church and understanding. I tell everybody, and people, you know, there's a lot of negative things about going to a mega church. I went to New Birth Missionary Baptist Church out here in Lithonia, Georgia, Bishop Eddie alone, and he got caught up in all those scandals and stuff. And I don't care. You know why? Because of my six years in that church, I learned so much in how to be bold in who I am spiritually more than what was going on around my circumstances. They taught me that, you know, and I take that with me. Even if I'm not a member there anymore or whatever, if I'm not as active as I used to be, I still took that with me. It was so much that I learned there. And I think that, you know, that's the key. You know, you take experiences from people, from places, from different things, and, and, and if you don't learn from it and you move forward in it, then you're, you you know, how can you, how can you get to where you want to be or who you want to be? You can't because you're constantly stuck in these different ways and behaviors. It takes practice, 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 you know, practice. And sometimes it's lonely. I think that's, I'm going to tell you the hardest thing that I still struggle with today is that I have a hard time. Uh, I had a hard time turning off the things that I've learned in life. And with that, it's hard to be around somebody and have fun. <laughs> it's still always like, yeah, no, mm-mm, I can't do that. That's, you know, or I turn everything into, I can't, it's like I almost can't help it. But that also protects me from going down different roads, too. And so it's almost like I can only be around certain people. It's hard. It's hard to hang. I can't go to clubs and truly hang. It's hard. It's really right, and hard. Be, so I, right, and be relaxed and be uh, 100, yeah. You can't. It's I see hard. everything. I see everything. I see stuff on people, you know, and I, I can give you a funny story. One time mm-hmm. I went to um, celebrate a birthday with a young lady, and we were at this club, and this guy kept trying to talk to her. And so she told the guy, oh, you better, you better uh, just leave, you know, just leave me alone before I get my girl over here to read you. Now, I didn't like that because I don't want people thinking, like, okay, you know, they're a fortune teller or nothing like that. That is not right. who I am. <laughs> but I can't read people sometimes. Sometimes God gives me things and I can see things on people. And so the guy, he drunk and he all in my face and he's like, oh, read me. Read me, and I'm like, go somewhere. And I told the young lady, I said, look, why would you do that? And he right. walks off, and he comes back. And he still, it was almost like he wanted me to say something to him. And so finally, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at him, and I'm talking inside my head going, okay, Holy Spirit, what in the world is wrong with this guy, you know? And finally, I looked at him, and I said, look, apparently you just got out of a bad relationship, and you running around here trying to smash everything you can. I said, you need to stop, because you already know that's not who you are. I said, matter of fact, your mom's not here no more. I said, and I would guarantee you, if she was looking down on you right now, she would be very unhappy about what you're doing. That man dropped his drink. His mouth dropped open. He looked at me, 
And he told that there was this other guy that right they was like, don't go over there talking to me. I'll leave him alone. <laughs> but, oh, I, I've had several situations like that. And that's another thing because even if I'm, I'm still, because I still drink, I ain't going to lie. I might have a couple of drinks and I'm out. And that's another thing, being able to control the things that pop in my head. Because, yeah, I tell guys some stuff in the club and they were just freaked freaked out by it. And I'm like, ooh, okay, I, I can't keep doing that, you know. So for me, I just, I try to stay in. It's safe for me just to stay out of those things. I know, you know what, and it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. It's hard because what it is is you can't, if you couldn't see anything, you could probably um, relate and just be cool with everybody. But the catch now is being able to read past a situation you can't even deal with certain people. You say, oh, my God, I'm looking right at him, and he's lying. You know, you can feel that. That's what changes. And so you're, you are prophetic, and, uh, you know, the prophetic path is actually lonely. You're actually different from most people. You know, and people look at you. They look up to you. They they confide in you. That is the path of a prophet. And, and, so and you're probably... <laughs> I was gonna say it's, it's crazy because I don't know. Uh, my brother's still here. I I, went, I had to call him out because I know one time I hadn't heard from him in a while, and <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I can't really talk to you because you make me think too much, you know, or think too much about myself." And I'm just like, "Oh God!" So people don't call me unless. You know, they have a problem or they want to talk to me about something. But other than that, then, yeah, I don't, I don't hear from people that much. It's, it's very, it's, it's, I don't know how to take that sometimes. And I, and then sometimes I, I think I, I uh, you know, I, I, you know, the enemy is he'll start telling you to blame yourself for, you know, quit being like that. But it's like, how do you turn off you who know. you are? Then you can't. You can't, but then when you got, you know, people you love, and then uh, even people, I think a lot of people don't understand because I do so much during the week or in the community, and I may forget people, I may not call them, you know, they may call it actually somewhere, I get text messages, it's it's really hard, and it's almost like when people think, oh, well, you know, she ain't thinking about me, and that's not the case, because I get up every morning, I got a prayer book, I have everybody's name in it, I add people's names to it, I pray over that book, I pray for everybody that's ever come across my life, for every situation, and I genuinely care, but it's just hard because I have to be so many different things, you know, the business owner, the, you know, the developer, the uh, the you know I got my family you know um, it's just so many I feel like I'm always in all these different places and I can't be everything to everybody but the one thing I do try to be is is in that right place with God I really you know I I cry after that every day I get so Sometimes I tell myself when I miss things sometimes I'm like oh God you told me you know they had that thing they say grieving the Holy Spirit and you still do something against what your spirit oh, is telling yes. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm still here. I I'm just letting you guys talk. We go we gonna um we're gonna pause for a brief commercial break and then when we come back I have some questions that I would like to ask. So if we could just hold on for one second, um we're gonna go to a commercial break and then when we come back I'll have I'll answer the question that you asked. 
about okay. people, um, about me avoiding you just because of, of the gift that you have and, and some other questions that I have. Hold on a second. Let us go into commercial break. Okay. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boom 107. Everybody, we are live on the Rook Show with Nicole Geitzen King as our guest in the Women of Power Women of Power series. Um, the host Brandy Jackson has been doing a very wonderful job. I have just been sitting back listening um, to you guys talk, and at one point in time, I was gonna interrupt with questions, but something told me to just let you guys talk, and I have gotten a lot out of this interview today. It's a blessing to have someone like yourself, um, Nicole, to speak so candidly. Um, So thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you. I'm so honored that you guys have me. Seriously, I don't get a chance to really vent like this, so (laughs) Well, we love it, and it definitely will help a lot of people out there, a lot of people. So it's it's neat. I think it has. Yeah, I think it has helped somebody, even if it's not a lot of people, just one person um, would be good enough for me. You you mm-hmm. have covered so much ground in, in the first hour to where I really don't know where to begin, but I'll start with what you mentioned about me. And when I used <laughs> to say to you that I'm avoiding you, that I didn't want to talk to you, it was, it was I, I'll explain that, and I'm not even sure if I ever explained it to you. Um, during the time period that that was going on, but since you since you mentioned so much, um, you kind of opened up the door for me to be able to explain that um, you have this ability to cut through, for lack of a better term, cut through the bullshit and kind of get people to 
deal with what's really going on. Um, and I'm not even sure if it's so much the things that you say or if it's just your presence, how you um, don't joke around and play when it comes to the method that you use to communicate. And with me, it may have been something going on with me at the time that I may have not wanted to deal with. But then when I would talk to you, you would always attack the issues head on. And so it would be something that I may have just wanted to allow to blow over. When me and you would talk, it was always, you know, let's figure this out. Let's get, you know, understanding of what was going on. So I think a lot of people use that as a defense mechanism instead of dealing with the issue that's going on. Um, From your experiences, is that something that you have encountered? Um, to be honest, Anthony, um, I, I would like to say that's just human nature, because, hell, I, I do that myself sometimes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we don't like facing things sometimes, you know. Sometimes we don't want to know a truth, like Jackson said. We don't like looking at the man in the mirror, you know. Um, yeah. There are so many, and I guess, you know, there's times that I didn't even question when you say that gift, because sometimes I don't, I don't want to know stuff about people, or I don't want to, like, why is this stuff popping in my head, you know? Um, and, and one of the things I was talking to one of my colleagues, I think the thing that hurt me the most was that, I, like I told you earlier, I didn't really grow up in the church. I didn't really have the church family. I used to kind of envy it until a few years ago where God had to correct me on some things about just being set apart from from those types of things. And not that it's bad, but it's just, it just wasn't my path. And so but I used to look for mentors in the church to kind of help me with this gift because I didn't want to do nothing wrong. I didn't want to hurt people when stuff came in. Because I'm going to tell you, the very first time that I kind of realized, like, ooh, I've got to figure out how to, how to, you know, use this properly, there was a young man, I was working at this uh, mental health hospital, and I was right when I was opening my first business, my nonprofit, um, and I was telling him what I was doing as far as outreach. And so he was from Chicago. I was like, oh, okay, I'm from Gary. And, you know, we started talking. And he says, yeah, I really want to I really want to do outreach. I want to go out and help people, blah, 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 blah. And before I even, because it popped in my head, I said, well, you need to stop sleeping with them men first. And then, you know, and, and so I didn't know where it came from. But it came out, and I was like, and like the look on his face, he was just like, how do you know that? And he started telling me about how when he first moved here, that somebody had did him wrong, and somebody asked him to stay with this guy, and it ended up being awkward, and he ended up in these situations. And I'm sitting there looking at him like, okay, why are you telling me this? Like, I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> that was, you know, when stuff like that started happening, I, I looked at people to kind of help me with that, and it, it was really hard. You know, it was almost to, you know, I've been in churches where people have told me they were intimidated by me, and I couldn't understand why, because the only thing I ever tried to do was help. 
you know. Right, right. And, or, like, I, I, you know, it, it's just things like that. You know, when I when I go to church or I serve in the church, I serve because I'm trying to serve God. I'm not serving the name of this church, the pastor of this church, or, you know, the leader in this particular uh, ministry. I'm serving God, and I serve God in all that I can do. And when, you know, things don't feel right to me or if I speak up about things and I'm looked at as, you know, a troublemaker or somebody who's not loyal to the church, I'm like, no, I'm not loyal to you. I'm loyal to God. And I think by being that serious, I don't know how to turn people off or whatever. And, those, you know, those are one of the things that, you know, it goes down with uh, learning about true evangelism, being an evangelist, you know, you're that rebel person. I had to learn that. I said, oh, okay, so is that who I am, God? Because I'm seeing why I'm not fitting in. Why, why can't I fit in with this, with everybody? And uh, right. so I had to, you know, it's, it's just really been a very, I understand what you're saying, Anthony. I think I went off the deep end, but I understand what you're saying because I don't know how to turn that person off. And I've even had people, you know, from my past, like, you know, Nikki, it's hard talking to you, or they feel like I'm trying to judge them, and I never do that. It's just, this is what, this is kind of just who I am now, and it's hard. It is so hard. I ain't going to lie. It is hard. I don't think you're supposed to turn it off. And and I think the issue is um, it's very rare to come across a real person. Like you said, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily loyal to the church pastor or the the people from the church. You're so more so loyal to God, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. So when you when, when most of the majority of people are doing something for their own personal gain or to have a, a place to to belong to, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's it's intended to be you know, the way that it was set up for originally. Um, Brandy is it is Brandy is somewhat like you in in the perspective of being a real person and that's very rare to to encounter people who don't do things for the status quo. So you're not supposed to turn it off. Um, you know, you just have to be careful who you share it with because I think and this is one 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 of the questions I wanted to ask. Has your ability to discern and to translate things from the spirit to others has that been tainted um through your involvement with all the different situations that you encounter on a daily basis and throughout you know the time that you have been tuned in with it what in interferes with that ability? Uh, what in the theaters with it? Right. I'm trying to Sometimes, okay, I'll use an example of someone that's close to me. I have mm-hmm. a friend of mine who is very gifted, like yourself, and because she's not married. And she's living a life of spirituality through how it's supposed to be lived. 
sometimes when she interacts with men in a certain capacity, whether it's sexually or just um, in a lustful manner, it interferes with her ability to see. That's that's uh-huh. an example. Mm. I would say, for for me, uh, my biggest I want to say okay, so you're talking about vices in some ways, right? Is that what you're saying? Not, like necessarily, that, not necessarily a vice. Not necessarily uh-huh. a vice. Just something, something that keeps you from being able to function in the manner that you that you know you should be functioning in. Probably, it could be anything. Always want always want to be a perfectionist. That's part, that's part of it. Or always want like I, I've had people tell me I may be too nice. Like I I let things go too easily because I just you know and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Um, I may over exert myself or over spend trying to help and then I end up in situations and then you know because. <laughs> That's probably one of my, my worst situations or my worst thing because, yeah, you know, I, I recognize God gives you things based on what He can trust you with, right. and so if I can't handle my finances in a way that is trustworthy of Him, and a lot of it has nothing to do because nine times out of ten, I'm not spending money on myself. I'm always doing something for others, but I may be overdoing it. You know, I may not be doing things in a way that where I'm listening. It's just that, oh, my God, i got to help them. You know, I'm always trying to help people, and in a lot of ways that's kind of a downfall too because sometimes I don't listen. You know, I spoke earlier about grieving the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that, that will to just want to help or that will to um, not make a mistake, you know, those are things that get in the way a lot of times with me. Um, and it's one of those things, you know, I don't mean to cut you off, but probably, you know, sometimes you just want to be free and not have to worry about certain things and just enjoy the life, the road, you know. <laughs> but you know you can see past so many things, so it actually <laughs> stops you for a second because you, you yeah. hear it. You hear it, and you may see yeah, it. Yeah, I, I jump. Yeah, and sometimes, I mean, I understand things because, uh, you know, I get distracted, you know, by things um, or people or situations. Um, but I, I would probably say the biggest thing is, you know, just being too understanding and always trying to help people. I, I think that that keeps me sometimes from uh, saying or doing what I'm supposed to do at times. I can relate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Yeah. So go. Let's go into. You know what's going on with you right now. The thing that you do on a day-to-day basis with your um, business down there and um, in College Park. Um, share with us some of the information that you um, do on a day-to-day basis. Well, um, oh God, I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> I mean, currently. My biggest project is Testament House, so I'm, I'm constantly working on that, um, getting ready for us to open there. Um, we have, you know, clients. We do. Uh, we're, we started a pilot of an outreach program that I call the Reconciliation Movement, 
And what that is is um, it's a program to – I actually thank you, Anthony, for this. Um, you posted a while back about the uh, the Black Wall Street, the Oklahoma riots and all of that. And I had forgot I had forgot about that, and I started kind of digging into it and started thinking about because it, it was around the time where I had some church hurt and got a little burnt from my church, and God started uh, sending me the scriptures about how the church originated and how within the community, you know, everybody in the community brought you know, whatever it was they had and they shared as a community, you know, that's how the church started, right? And so I started thinking about how with the, the Oklahoma situation and how the people came together and they had their own businesses and, you know, they were thriving, very prominent people, and how they, you know, were killed in their city and, you know, all those different things, and I was like, God, you know, we need to get that back within our community. So I started talking to some of my colleagues, and I said, you know, I want to put together outreach where it has nothing to do with us as an organization, but more so to do with each community that we deal with. And I remember telling my staff that, you know, we got to start at home. We can't be doing all these businesses all over Atlanta and then we're not taking care of where we are right here in College Park, right? There you yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so uh, we started this pilot called the Reconciliation Movement, you know, um, and it, it comprises of kind of five different areas and um, where we target the education, the mental health, um, employment, new families, the elderly, and then also legal and politics. It kind of goes back to what I was talking about, about knowing what is going on within your community. So we did three months of outreach. We started, you know, trying to, well, it ended up being more so me um, because I couldn't really get it together. And, again, sometimes I go ahead of, you know, it was kind of like the idea, and I try to pull people together, but then I was going out by myself actually talking to this one neighborhood that I first started with. And I started talking to um, different people in the neighborhood, trying to find a leader in the neighborhood, who do people talk to, who can they come to. And it's really all about transforming one community at a time. You know, if you can get to that one community, find out the needs, you can uplift them, find a, somebody or a few people that could be a leader within that community. And so, you know, we're still kind of working on that, but the, the crazy part is, you know, I got into that one community and all these other things started coming around and falling apart because it was so much bigger than what resources that we had at the time. So we're slowly but surely putting that together while we're doing Testament House. And in a lot of ways, one of my colleagues, Danielle, she um, she said, you know, once we finish Testament House, that's the reconciliation movement is going to be birthed from that, and I truly believe that. So, that's, you know, a lot of different outreach and trying to help people get connected to resources, whether it's education, um, we advocate, even in the court, you know. Um, I've also a lot of different neighborhoods. i got clients all over. I think you mentioned on Facebook about the bluff and those areas. You know, there are some neighborhoods here really bad. I only go to in the morning. I try not to be there past 1 p.m. 
Is bad that early? Is bad in the day? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you learn. You, you kind of just, uh, we, you know, we just do, a, I don't know how to explain it. We advocate. We do counseling. Um, we educate. I mean, there's so many different things that, that we do in, right now. But the biggest thing that we're working on is Testament House because we really think that so many things can get birthed from that and helping because Georgia has a huge problem with 18 to 25-year-olds being homeless, and we're trying to circumvent that some kind of way. What are you guys doing to try to circumvent that? What type of assistance are you offering? And if you have um, that service going through your company, can you give the website and the contact information for people who may be interested in assisting someone or getting that service for themselves? Well, right now, we're doing our best to connect with just the different shelters and the other community programs while we're opening Testament House. If anybody had or wanted any more information, um, it would probably be easier to say go ahead and call 404-472-7318. That's our office number. Um, our website is www.nnkconsultingllc.homestead.com. And, um, you know, you can just reach out to us that way. But, you know, we try to partner, or I should say collaborate, with a lot of other agencies. That's what we're working on now, trying to get a really good database of all the different homeless shelters and homeless programs. We just found out recently that, because um, Atlanta has a task force for homelessness, and there are a lot of other organizations that are privately owned or faith-based that are not part of that database. And so we're tapping into a lot of those different programs as well, just so that as we, cause we work with the courts right now in College Park, um, people like that get DUIs and things like that, so we do a lot of substance abuse and prevention. Um, so, again, yeah, they could just call. Really, it's probably easier to call that number, 404-472-7318. Can you repeat that one more time? 404-472-7318. Okay, and then the Okay, website. I have a question. Go ahead, Brandy. I get the website oh, out. Okay, got it. Thank you. Okay, I have I have a question. Okay, let's say you have first first of all, let me follow my my train of thought. Um, how do people? How do you get the awareness of what type of services you provide out there to the public? Because most of the time, when someone is going through the things that your service provides assistance with, they feel like they're that there there's no one to contact for them to help them. So how is it that you reach out to people to get them to become a part of your program? And then the second question I wanted to ask is when someone is homeless mm-hmm. and you provide them with a shelter or something like that, what do you do? to make sure that they they get stable because obviously it's a reason behind 
why they were in that position in the first place. What type of um, guidance do you give them to not only provide them with a temporary shelter, but to transition them into a functioning member of society? Okay. The first question as far as how do people find out about our services, I'm not a really big organization. I don't have a big income for marketing. Most of our clients come from word of mouth, um, and, we, and we do okay with that, you know. Um, and, you know, we because we do a lot of different outreach uh, things, you know, whether it's back-to-school events or, you know, uh, collaborate with different counties, when they have events in the community, you know, you go out and you set up a booth. So we do a lot of those things, too, different workshops. Um, second, with homelessness is so rapid right now. Which there's not enough resources out there. The one thing we try to do is wherever we, if we can get somebody somewhere, is to do those support services around it, you know. Does this person need to see a doctor? Do they need medication? You know, first and foremost, you try to deal with if you can get them a, a shelter, and then you try to work with whatever health concerns may be surrounding it. And that may be mental health. It may be substance abuse. It may be, you know, diabetes or high blood pressure. Um, so it's always controlling the, the things that what you consider a crisis um, because you can't, get a person to that next step until you cover those types of things, shelter, food, you know, health, um, and then you kind of go from there. But we don't, you know, one of the things that I really try not to do, now we have some shelters here that are not all that great, and sometimes they're last result because there's so many places that stay full. So the biggest thing is um, if you have to end up, you know, getting somebody there. there. You know, this is that part. A lot of people would rather be on the streets than be in some of these shelters because that's how bad they are. And so it's almost to the point to where we have to work with people who are in the streets still to try to get them into, you know, better programs uh, because you can't counsel somebody who's homeless in a crisis. You know, it, just, it doesn't right. work that way. It's <laughs> always about trying to connect them to the services first to get them out of that crisis moment, then you work with them, like, okay, do you need to get your GED or are you, in, like, what, you know, what do you want to do? Where's your family? Um, it's a lot of case management, you know, and unfortunately there's not a lot of funding behind that type of stuff. And so, you know, again, like I told you, I spend a lot of time doing things out of the goodness of my heart. Um, I have staff that do things out of the goodness of their heart, and I thank God for them. Um Sometimes having to ask them to do things that, you know, I can't pay them for. But, you know, the goodness of their hearts and the grace of God, you know, we're able to still kind of help people get things or faces. Um, You know, my family, we've taken, you know, people in, had them stay here a week or two or sometimes, you know, um, until we can get them into a program. Some of my younger kids, you know, that I've worked with maybe back in the day from – foster homes and stuff like that. They used to be in foster homes, but they aged out and ended up homeless. So, I mean, there's there's so many different scenarios and how we try to help them, and sometimes we can't, you know. And it's it's heartbreaking because the things are just the resources. They're just not there. Um, 
But that, that the biggest thing is case management and linking, trying to link them. And it, it, there's just not enough out there. There's not enough. It is, and that's why, you know, we're trying to do testament housing. Even with that, it's a struggle because it, it's so political in a lot of ways. Um, you have so many people out there who have gotten grants and gotten money and worked with the government and basically didn't do nothing for these people but, you know, stuff their pockets. Um, you know, so it makes it hard for people who really want to help people to get the type of funding that we need to help how we could, you know. So that that's kind of what we're going through now. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh that's serious. And so, how do you receive the funds that you receive to be able to do the services that you do? I mean, currently right now we work with um, what they call CORE, um, which is kind of a mental health program through Medicaid. A lot of our stuff is really geared towards Medicaid reimbursable services. Um, I have a couple of people sometimes that donate things every now and then, but for the most, that's pretty much how we provide services. We just started working with other insurances, um, different, you know, over the years I've worked different contracts with different counties and things like that. That's for the most how I get funded because, I mean, people can't pay for this type of service. It's, it's, it's costly. For the population that we deal with, we have to depend on governmental programs and, you know, things like that. Um, and it's, it's hard because there's so many programs out there, like I said, if you're not connected to the right people or uh, because so many people have misused things, it's really hard. It's hard for people like us who really want to help and try to get out there. But right now it's Medicaid, different, you know, insurances, if it's mental health or substance abuse, or just collaborating with other uh, companies or contracts with certain counties and courts and things like that. So they pay for the service. Mhm. And and this um this business that you're operating right now, um, this is something that you started on your own pretty much. You didn't have any assistance um doing that and you actually quit your job to do it. So um hats off to you, you know, for the diligence and the focus that it took to be able to get to the point that you are at right now. And um this is really not something that you're doing to get rich. It's, it's a labor of love, right? Oh, definitely. I guess it goes to some of those lessons learned. Um, you know, I talked a lot earlier about understanding the difference between what's natural and what's spiritual, um, understanding relationships and how to control um, the things that was going on with me, my vices, and then getting to that point of purpose. You know, understanding the true meaning of freedom and faith and trusting in God. I, I remember it was one New Year's. I can't remember it was a few years ago. Um, I uh, was listening to the praise and worship singer, and he was singing the song Freedom. And I was thinking, wow, this is the first time that I really understand what that means because, see, I recognize where my help comes from. It doesn't come from anybody. So, if I have a job, it's because God gave me that job. But you're not going to ask me to do something that goes against, you know, my integrity or who I am and think that I'm going to do it just because 
I have this job. And that was, you know, that's something I think a lot of people get caught into. Um, and it started with me, I think, around the time when I was leaving working for the state with family and children's services. It just seems like so many things was happening around me that I felt was just wrong. And I didn't feel like we were really helping people like we could because, of, you know, again, let's go back to that word technicalities or policies. And, you know, it was like, whoa, this is not right. We can't do this, you know. And I, it was hard because I, I enjoyed my job. At the same time, I couldn't really be who I wanted to be. I started growing more as an evangelist than a social worker. And okay. that started, yeah, when that started, uh I had to walk away. I remember clear because uh, at the time at church, Bishop was talking about how how bad do you want what God has for you, and then, and he was he was saying that you know you're going to have to walk away from houses and jobs and things to follow what he's telling you to do, and it's like everything lined up at that time. And it wasn't easy because it seemed like at first everything was going really well. That's why you heard me talk about the nonprofit that I started in 2007. And for the first year, it was fine. And then it was like, you know, all hell broke loose. And I'm like, whoa, God, you told me to do this. You know, and then, I, you know, I didn't understand it quite then, but I understand it now that that was really my breaking point. That was the point when I didn't have any income and no place to stay, and my car getting repossessed, and, you know, I'm yeah. out there, you know, Thanksgiving, passing out food, and I ain't have a bit of food in my own refrigerator, you know. Mm. So when you start truly going after uh, your purpose in life, you know, I don't even look at this as work. This is who I am. I, I just had to tell somebody that the other day, don't fail my life. Just, this is who I am. This ain't work. This ain't just business for me. This is about helping people and saving souls, period. And hmm. I don't get too confused at all, you know. Yeah, it's nice. To, you know, I feel like if we do the right thing, the money, yeah, it'll come. It'll be nice. But, again, God ain't going to trust me with it until I, I, I figure out how to really use it, right? <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm constantly still trying to, you know, fulfill whatever it is, because I still don't know sometimes. I sit back and I say, Lord, okay, I don't know where this is going. Right. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just going along for the ride. I'm just right. going along for the ride. And I, I want to, to truly see people get to that point of purpose and freedom. You know, if I had to sum up what my goals or, you know, because it may not be God's goals, but I think in my heart the goal is, to help people see who they really are in God, to see who they are spiritually and not what's going on with them in the natural, you know, to understand uh, sin, what that really is. You know, that's why I think, I don't know if we talked about earlier the workshop, the uh, the Genesis of Seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, that's really important to me. That's what this is all about, people seeing who they are. Spiritually, so that they could go out and walk in purpose. You know, that's so important to me. It really is. How long is that process? Um, so you know, so you can people can walk in purpose. How long is it? I mean, right. Yeah, How long is that yeah. workshop? Oh, the workshop. Uh, 
Okay, keep but, adding on to it. Yeah, I keep adding <laughs> on to it. So, is that for, but, how, and, and how is it a term? Is it like one semester of it, or is it just three months? Yeah, it's just one day. It's just one day. I do it in three hours. That's how I'm doing it now. It's just a workshop, like a one-day, three-hour workshop. Okay, and then how can people do this? Can they do it over Skype, or do they have to be in, per, in present? present? Uh, I do I have it to where we can do it, you know, on. I'm working on the one for the online, to be honest with you. I've done it here one, uh, about a couple times, and then I'm working on the one to do it over. Not, is it Skype? I think it's like GoToMeeting or something like that that we're going to try yeah, to do I it like on. That. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that workshop, and then it was something else that you had said in the in the past. I think you said spiritual games. You had said something about spiritual games. And then why are you thinking about that? Why are you thinking about that? I want to ask her a quick question, Brandy. I know it's going to come to you um, here shortly, but. <laughs> I want I want to know something. You have you have a lot of experience from the military that you can use to go into government employment, such as the post office or something like that. I mean, you have college edu- you're college educated. You have, I believe, a master's degree, right? Yes. Okay. Why do you choose to? And I'm and I'm spinning off of you saying how you had such a, a, a serious struggle going through the process of being where you are today. At some point in time, why didn't you just say, you know, I'm going to go to work and, and you know, provide for myself in, in the process of God providing the opportunities for me to get this done? Why did you stick with it in, in such a strong manner like you did? Okay, well, I ain't going to lie. I, I did try to go back. I tried at one point. I did give up. I was like, you know what? Forget this. And then nobody would hire me. And I was like, wait a minute. I got all these skills. What do you mean? You know? And uh, I remember I went on interviews, and and the interviews felt good, and nobody would hire me. And I had to come to grips. And then I had to repent because I was like, okay, God, I, I see it's kind of like that Job experience when he he started to question things a little bit and then he got it back together. Yeah, that's kind of what what I went through. And once I realized, I think that's what made me realize that I had to go through that. I had to go through that struggle. I had to keep pushing. And I and I and and that's it, it was at that moment when I did give up that I realized that I had to keep going because nobody would hire me. And I said, now, this is crazy. I know I got the experience. I know I, you know. And it was it was, it was was so crazy because it was people on the inside that tried to get me back into some um, state positions. And then when it was time for everything to go down, I didn't get it. And it was like they, they didn't even know why. So I knew that was God. You know what I'm wow. saying? <laughs> so, and, you know, working situations and 
you know, having this. I always used to think that, you know, going back to the government was the way to go because it was uh, government to be stable, and then all of a sudden that started falling apart. So I just, it was all divine order in, in my eyes. Okay. So what what would you say to someone who is having a moment like that where God has ordained them to fulfill a certain destiny, but they have so much to offer to the working class and they don't quite understand the contrast of or the conflict of flesh and, and spirit? to get through that moment, what would you say to them to encourage them, to help them to get through that process before the blessing comes? Oh, man. I would have to say to stay, you know, stay stay focused on, on, on why you started the journey in the first place. Because it's real easy to get turned away from it, you know. Uh, or distracted, or for people or situations can take you away from it. You have to really just stay focused on why you got there in the first place, and 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 it's it's really a, it's really a big test of faith. I think I said earlier how Bishop said, "How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? You know, and you have to ask yourself that: How bad do I want this? How bad do I want to fulfill what God has for me? And and it, it kind of just, I think, you know, just go from there. You gotta go from there. You gotta see, just like I, I talked earlier um, about going out doing Thanksgiving food when I didn't have nothing, not one thing in my refrigerator, probably a stick of butter. But yeah, I still served. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't focus on me. And that's what you have to do. You can't focus on you. You focus on what's before you, where God is taking you. And I've heard so many testimonies like that, you know, um, to when they were on their journey and how, you know, they ran out of gas and, you know, they spoke, you know, it's just all these different stories you hear. And it's like, but I didn't focus on me. I focused on what it is that I was supposed to be doing, and, and it, it pretty much carried me through. Okay. And... Um, Anthony, did you have another question before I, I kind of switch gears? No. Okay. Um, Nicole, I wanted to go back to the spiritual games. You said be careful who, where, and how the, of the people that are around you. With um, And you had coined it kind of like a spiritual game. Um, as far as letting certain people in your life, mm-hmm. and then you talked a little bit about sexual morality sexuality and spirituality. What's your what is your take on all of that? Oh. Well, um I, uh, I guess it goes back to you know I was telling you a story when after I submitted to God the next day the guy like act like he couldn't even look at me in my face and I started recognizing uh familiar spirits and how all of a sudden, certain people would just come around and try to talk to me, or certain people would come and try to befriend me. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And um, so there, are, there, are, there is a thing, and I think when I talk about where you get into certain relationships 
and you feel drawn to a person, or you feel like you've always known that person. You know, mm-hmm. those are familiar, those are familiar spirits. Those are things that there's something in you that's attracted to something in that person, and then you, you know, you're just thinking, oh man, they're so cool, and oh, I just love being around you, and you're not looking at what's going, what's really going on around you, and so I, I guess it's like that awareness. You know, when I'm it got to the point to when I met people, I was always like, okay, why is this person, you know, it's almost like, and I hate to say I'm paranoid, but you I almost have to be like thing. that. I do that yeah. all the time, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you almost have to be that way because when you start, especially when you start walking in your destiny or your purpose, you know, the enemy is doing, by any means necessary, trying to take you off track. So he's going to best do that through your relationship. And and, it, and it's sad because sometimes a lot of people don't even recognize that that's what's going on, you know. And so, um, and, and I think that what we talked about the sexual immorality is because when you know when I when I was studying the seven deadly sins, which is what the workshop is about, you know, your two strongest is pride and lust, and. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, the lust of the eyes and the things. This is where we see in that. And it, 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 sexual morality is, 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 oh, God. You know, you're doing it against your body. You're doing it against, um, you know, the order of things of how we're supposed to be engaged in these types of relationships. And it takes us so far off path sometimes. And, and it's all spiritual, you know. It's all spiritual. You can't you can't look at somebody without thinking. When I'm laying down with this person, what is it that I'm really getting from this person? Right. Um, and you know, what am I giving this person? And you're carrying this stuff, and you know, it's 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 not so much because of the sexual act itself is more so of what happens afterwards. If you break up with that person, you feel hurt and you're carrying bitterness or you're carrying, you know, just like what I went through, you know, you know, forget relationships. It's all about me. I'm going to go speak who I want to. I'm going to go do, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now you turn it totally away from, and, and people don't realize it's spiritual because you opened yourself up to this anyway. And, you know, and, and we talk about why, Things are so misguided now because we're doing things so out of order. You know, sex has become uh, uh, a stress reliever. Really? Like, Ooh. where did that come from? Uh, you know. Uh, wow. It's like you know, so, Go call Johnny. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so now we've gotten so misguided into what that relationship is supposed to be. That's, a, you know, very intimate and, and spiritual encounter if it's done correctly, you know, if it's done within the marriage. If it's not, you know, that's why celibacy is so important, I think, you know, as a single person. Because if you're going around and you're going from relationship to relationship, you're opening yourself up to all these different things. And, and half the time you don't even recognize what's going on because now you're picking up these other spirits, you know. Whatever, there's so many different ones out there, but you might pick up envy, or you might just get lazy, or you might just, you know, so all these other things are coming about in you because of you carrying all these different seeds, especially with women. Oh, God, you're carrying all these different seeds with you wherever you go, and now, you know, you're wondering how come you can't have a relationship because you're carrying all these other folks with you. 
And it's, wow. it's not the folks, it's the spirits that have come along with you that attach themselves to you while you're, you know, out there thinking either I'm having fun or like ego of my own or, you know, trying to look for love in all the wrong places. Everybody has different stories to why and, you know, what they do. But the reality of it is it's out of order. It's just out of order. Right. And But how do you, um, how can you disattach? Detach yourself. Disattach from? From the spirits that maybe you've been carrying. I mean, I think the first step to anything in in, in self improvement is acknowledging it. And once you acknowledge it, you know, you gotta do it's kinda like uh an addiction. You try to replace the addiction with something more healthier because a lot of times an addiction is a it's a coping skill. This is how I cope with when I get angry. This is how I cope with when I feel lonely. So now when I feel lonely, instead of calling Johnny, um, I might go to the gym and get on the treadmill. <laughs> so okay, it's, it's, okay. It's, you know, you're replacing um, an unhealthy thought with a healthier thought. So now, instead of picking up that bottle or instead of, you know, whatever the case, I'm, I'm going to go do something that's more healthy that's going to help me more so than possibly harm me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what I told you earlier, it's kind of like I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to to practice my way out of my foolishness. That's kind of what you're doing. You're practicing yourself out because I'm constantly the tra- remember now the transformation of the mind. Talking over Understand the that these spirits, the enemy can't do anything to you. He only talks to you through your thoughts. And in those thoughts is when you perform the deed. So if I can counteract, counteract that thought with something else that's healthier for me or that, that God will be more pleasing of, then I try to do that, and then it's going to be practiced because it, it, it's not perfect. I had to literally for two years shut myself in away from people to be strong enough to be able to go out and deal with people again. But see, everybody has their way. Yeah, again, right. I don't know, you know, it took me two years to, by not going out, by not watching TV, by not allowing certain things into my spirit or letting certain conversations or certain TV shows or certain images to pollute where I was trying to go. I made up my mind to do that. And so that's what, you know, that's what it takes. you got to make up your mind and acknowledge, you know what, this is a problem. I don't want to be here. Now, right. I gotta counteract it. Now, whatever that may be for you, you know. And sometimes, you know, I, I think about it in therapy. We sit down and try to go over what is it for you that could help you not do this. What, you know, you could sit down and write or journal and, and write. Okay, this is what I'm doing wrong, and then come up with ways of how not to go there. You know, whatever it be. This is what makes me angry. So. Instead of punching somebody when I'm angry, what can I do? Can I walk away? Can I do this? Can I do that? And and you have to practice it. You have to tell yourself with those thoughts because it's just a split second. Them thoughts pop in your head and you react from it, right? So now oh, we I actually gotta... have we actually have a surprise at the door. Okay. Believe it or not, you have won tickets to the Africa Umoja, the Spirit of Togetherness tour. Oh. 
Which is from the New Orleans ATL, Washington, D.C., and it is beautiful. It's out there in New York on Broadway. They'll actually be coming to Atlanta this weekend, I believe. We have about 30 minutes before the show ends, but we wanted to give you those tickets for all of the... 30 seconds, I mean, I'm sorry. We wanted to give you those tickets for all of the work that you do out there in the community so you can have a little moment to take a break and get some relaxation. Um, I'll I'll just make sure thank you. Thank you, Nicole King with NNK Consulting, The Rook, Anthony King, your host, and myself, Brandy Jackson. We appreciate everything. Be sure to check out Blog Talk Radio and the Keys, 107network.com for the archive. I want to thank you again. Okay, Nicole? Thank you. Thank you for having me. God bless you guys. God bless you too. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you.